If you ever track Timothy's life through the New Testament, you'll see he was an amazing man of impeccable character. Paul said there was no one like him. How did Timothy get that way? Same way you and I can get there. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. We've been studying through the book of Philippians, and we are in this section where Paul is showing us examples to follow. He's giving us Timothy and himself and Epaphroditus, and the examples are just so high that we run the risk of being more overwhelmed than inspired. And so it's real important for us to get the how-to, and that's where we will end up at the end of the sermon. But for now, let me just finish looking at Timothy's example. Last week we saw the primary quality, which was selflessness, basically. He cared about them more than he cared about himself. He cared about their spiritual well-being. He got worked up about their needs more than his own temporal concerns. He had that spiritual anxiety. But spiritual anxiety wasn't his only quality. There's This paragraph shows us at least five others, and they all spring out of the first one, which is the foundational one, which is humility. Humility. Timothy was humble. Look at verse 22. It says, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. One of the ways you see humility is with a servant's heart. He served with me in the work. And when Paul says he served with me, that word served is literally slaved. He served as a slave. Literally, he slaved in the work. Timothy thought of himself that way, thought of himself as being like a slave. He understood Matthew 20, 25, where Jesus said the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and they exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant and whoever wants to uh, be first must be your slave. You've got to be a slave. Now, there are some men, they want to get up and preach, and they, they're, all, they're, they're, they're all excited about that, but they're not all that interested in serving. Um, ask them to get up on the platform, and, and boy, they're all over it, but ask them to, to, to fix the toilet, and suddenly they're really busy. And they're, they're just not into that. There's a long line of men who have their eye on the glamorous aspects of the ministry, but they don't have servants heart. There's just some tasks that are beneath them. They won't do that. They won't lower themselves. Not Timothy. He took the posture of a slave, just like Paul did, and and not only as a slave, but also as a child. Verse 22 says he worked with Paul like a son with his father. Again, humility. You see the humility here. He thought of himself as being like a kid with his dad. This was his perception of himself. Timothy, you got to understand, Timothy was one of the most capable spiritual leaders in the world. At this point, Paul himself said there's no one else like Timothy. There's just no one like him. He had an incredible resume, if you think about it. Huge amount of ministry experience, travel all over the world, tremendous giftedness. His name was a household name in the church. Timothy was a big deal in other people's eyes, but not in his own eyes. Even though Paul thought of Timothy as a colleague, Timothy thought of himself as... I'm like a little kid with his dad. That was his attitude. He was humble. And out of that foundational virtue of humility, 
grew up the other ones. The next one, which is he was also teachable. This is one of the most important tests of humility, especially for a leader. Is the person teachable? So many men, especially men, get puffed up with pride so that they don't, they, they get so that it's not teachable. They can't learn. They might take a class, but all they do in the class is just critique it, you know. And uh, they, they'll tell you all about what's wrong with this preacher and that book and this program and that conference, but you rarely ever hear them talk about what they've been learning lately. You won't hear them talk about that because they haven't been learning anything lately. They've already got it all. Instead of thinking of themselves like a kid learning from his dad, they see themselves as kind of like being everybody's dad. <laughs> you know, uh, that you, you can tell by the way that they interact with you that they think of himself, himself as being several levels above you. And they really think, these people really think they're, they're humble. They think they're being humble by lowering themselves to take the time to listen to someone like you. You know, and that's just their attitude. And so it's rare that you can ever teach someone like that anything. The only people that they can learn from are preachers or authors they've never met. And the reason for that is because all the ones they've met, they found so many faults with them that now they can't learn from them. Timothy was the opposite of that. He was humble and he was teachable. And as a result of that, he was also available. Uh, look at verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord. This is interesting. In verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send him, send Timothy to you. And then look at verse 20. He says, I have no one else like him. I have no one else like him. Timothy was someone Paul had. What does that mean? In what sense did Paul have him? Well, it means he had him to send. He, Timothy was available. It was, Timothy was at Paul's disposal. I think if Timothy lived today, some counselor would tell him, Timothy, you've got to get some boundaries. You need to read the book. Learn to set limits. Learn how to say no. Christians have gobbled that book up by the millions. Why did three million people buy that book? Because the situation today is exactly the same as it was in Roman Paul's day. Everyone is looking out for their own interests instead of Christ's. But Timothy was different. He was the opposite of that. Just like Paul, instead of setting up boundaries to protect himself, he poured his life out on the ground in ministry. What an inspiration. What an inspiration. I mean, it makes you just, just want to go off alone somewhere and just get on your knees and just say, God, I'm available. <laughs> I'm available. Anytime, anywhere, any task, just send me, I will go. Give me a job, I'll do it. So often people try to, they, they struggle to figure out what their, what their calling is. And they just don't know. What am I called to do? What should I do? And I think in some cases it may be that God has not made their calling clear because there's still a big question mark on their availability. They're waiting for God to say, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is, and God doesn't say that. He doesn't put the, should you choose to accept it, piece in there. That's not how God does it, because he's God. And we're not. Usually he just waits for us to finally drop to our knees and say, Lord, I'm available. Here I am, send me. Anywhere. So Timothy was, was humble and teachable and available. What else? Look at verse 22. He says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. Proven character. 
What does that add? The word proven. It means you've been through something, right? You've been t- tested in ministry, or you went through some major ordeal or some hardship, and your godly character remains steady even in the heat of an ordeal. That's tough. I mean, I, I have to confess to you that there, there are some hardships that we've been through as a church in the last couple of years, and I was dismayed to find areas where I thought I had pretty strong character, but it didn't hold up as well as I thought it would in the fire. It's one thing to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's another thing to still have it when everything goes to pieces. Or you're being attacked. Or people are slandering you. Or your whole life's being turned upside down. It's one thing to have character. It's another thing to have tested, proven Character that came through the fire, right? There are some aspects of character that can't even be observed without some testing. So Timothy was humble, teachable, available, reliable. Then one more. Timothy was, was always the guy that Paul wanted to send because he was useful. Useful. That's the next one. Well, that's Timothy. So all of that summarizes Timothy's character. So now the question, how did he get to be like that? How do you get this way? We really need to answer this question because the last thing God wants us to do is to hear these sermons about, you know, these examples and walk out thinking, wow, Timothy is really amazing. Too bad I'm so lame. And then walk out. Right. The purpose of these examples is not for us to be defeated. It's for us to be inspired. So if I find myself falling short of what I need to be. How do I get from where I am now to where I need to be? How do I get to be like a Timothy? Well, we already know that teaching is a key component to that, right? If you want to grow spiritually, you want to make progress, you want to change, you want to get better, then you're going to need Bible teaching. That's essential. That's why we're all here, right? Listening to a sermon. But as essential as that is, it's not enough. It's essential that we learn in more ways than just listening. See, we need to do two things in order to learn. We need to listen and we need to watch. Right? We need to listen and we need to see it done. God designed us, as we saw last week, to learn through imitation. The problem is the things that we need to learn are hard to learn through imitation because they're internal, right? They're heart issues. How am I supposed to learn a heart attitude by watching someone? How can that be done? I mean, I can watch someone's behavior and, you know, imitate that, but, but how do you watch someone's heart? This is where relationships come in. The, the only way you can watch someone's heart is by having a close enough relationship with that person to see what's going on inside them. Preaching the word is absolutely essential. Essential. But by itself, it's not enough. Because, here's why. Because if I have a problem, if I have some rocky, weedy soil, in my heart, then preaching the word is not going to do it. Do it, be what I need because that's throwing seed on on bad soil. It's not going to help. Someone is going in order for it to work. Someone is going to have to get down on the ground in my heart and start pulling weeds and removing rocks. Sometimes I'll I'll stand up here and I'll preach preach a principle from God's word, and uh, there will be someone here who doesn't it, they don't even understand what I'm saying. They don't get it. It doesn't make sense. 
And that person needs someone to sit down with him and answer his questions or explain it to him in a different way, using different words and, and help him understand. And there, and there might be someone else who I, I, I preach something and you're sitting there and you understand just fine, but you can't bring yourself to accept it maybe because, because there's a sin in your life that you just can't let go of. And this thing would mean you'd have to let go of it. And so you just can't receive it. And you need someone else to, to, to come and, and help you with that. Or maybe there's someone here who preach, I preach a principle and they understand it in theory, but they have no idea how it applies in practical life, right? They're like, yeah, that's a great theory, but they just, they just don't see the connection to real life. And maybe someone else hears me preach and they get a principle and, and they, they understand how to apply it in real life, but they can't because they're paralyzed with fear. Or they're paralyzed with guilt. Or anger, or unforgiveness, or laziness, or anxiety about temporal things, or they're overloaded, so overloaded with busyness in their life, and so disorganized, they can't even take the time to think it through, or whatever reason. All these reasons why the word won't take hold. All these rocks and weeds in the heart that, that keep the seed from producing fruit in, in, in the person's heart. And, and so there's just a ton of gardening that needs to be done. In hearts. In order for the teaching and preaching that goes forth to take effect. When we talk about applying the word of God to the hearts of men and women, that applying piece is a big, it's more than just saying the, the words we've got to get, do the gardening. Do you see that? And do you see how relationships are essential for that? For some things, we need individual one-on-one help from either a counselor or a mentor. Or, to use Paul's terminology, if we really want to stick with the biblical terminology, father, being a spiritual father or spiritual son. This is God's design for how we're to grow spiritually, these kinds of relationships. And this is biblical, Titus 2. And here's what it says about the women. It says, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Then they can train the younger women to... And look at this list of things that the younger women are supposed to learn from the older women. Uh, To love their husbands and children... To be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. Now, if a particular woman is having trouble loving her husband or loving her kids, I think in order to help her, you're going to have to get to know her, right? A little bit. You're going to find out what's what's going wrong. You need to know the, and you need to have the type of relationship with her where you could suggest try this, and then when it doesn't work, okay, well, let's try this. In Mark three three. There's an account there where it says Jesus looked around at the people in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said, and then it goes on to give some teaching, but I, I just think that that little piece there is interesting. It says he looked around in anger and he was deeply distressed. How do they know that he was angry and deeply distressed? He didn't say anything about being angry or being deeply distressed. Evidently, they could tell just by the look on his face. You say, well, was that significant? Yeah, it's significant. It's in the Bible. Why would it be in the Bible if it weren't significant? It's, it's important. We're learn, we need, God wants us to learn something from the fact that Jesus was angry and deeply distressed. How did they know that? How did they learn that? By watching him. They could just see it on his face, and you see that repeatedly. There are some things that people need to learn from you. They can only be learned by watching. Seeing your emotional reaction. Seeing how you respond in the moment. God designed us to learn through imitation. And so if you're a spiritually mature person, your example 
goes only as far as your exposure. If you don't open up your life for people to see your heart, what good is your example going to be? They won't be able to see it. You might be living a great exemplary life and no one will be able to benefit from it because they can't see it. Who is the person in this church who has the most self-control of anybody in the whole congregation? Who's the person that has most self-control? I don't know who it is, but whoever it is, suppose that person just kept it to himself or herself. Just, just, they, just they came to prayer group, but they never really say much about their own heart and their own life. They never have anybody over to their house. They don't go play kickball after church with the group. They don't come to work day. They don't hang around people uh, enough in any kind of context where anybody could observe their self-control. How are we going to imitate them? Maybe God gave you the gift of giving. That's a really strong area in your life. But nobody's learning anything from your example because you everything's top secret. You always want to give anonymously. Jesus instructed us, don't ever advertise your good deeds for self-promotion or show, for the purpose of showing off. So we don't want to do that. But in the very same sermon when Jesus said that, he also commanded us to let our light shine among men so that they may see our good deeds. He commanded us to do that. Never do it to show off. But do let people see your good deeds. What's your strongest area of character? Where are you strong? Can, can people see it? I mean, have you let people in enough? Have you exposed yourself enough so people can see that? Can anyone see your godliness from enough different angles and in enough different contexts, observed enough different situations to be able to get the hang of it by watching you so they can start doing it? Consider your responsibility to, to serve this church as an example. It's an example of something. So whenever you have an opportunity, expose. Expose your heart. Expose your life. Don't be a private person. There's no value in that. Volunteer information about you, yourself. Volunteer information about how you feel. This is what Jesus did. He, he just let people know how he felt. You could see if he was upset. You could see if he was, he was angry or, or, or troubled or happy. Let people see. Don't hold your cards close to your vest. Let people know what you're thinking, what your attitude is. Let people into your life, let them into your heart as much as possible. Even if you can't see any specific reason why it might be beneficial at that moment. Now, I'm totally preaching myself here. You can listen in if you want. But uh, this is me, because this is something I need to learn. For me, if I don't see any specific reason to say something, I don't say something. Tracy, she tells you a story. And whenever I hear Tracy talking to somebody, about 50% of the stuff she says, I'm thinking, why did you say that? That's extraneous. You don't need that piece of information in order to make that point. You could make that point without that piece of information. And so for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm straining stuff out and you only get the point. And I, I'm realizing now, what good is that? How is anybody, how am I going to develop any kind of relationships with people if I don't ever just have self-disclosure? Just like, this is where I am. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. Maybe you need to learn something from me that I don't even know about, but you'll learn it if you could just see what's in there. Maybe I could learn something from you that you don't even know I need to learn, but I'll, I'll only learn it if, you, if you're open. In Mark 10... Jesus was talking about, uh, talking to his disciples about those who lose their family in order to become Christians. And what he, what Jesus, Jesus answered to that problem was to say this. He said, don't worry about that. 
Because even if you lose your mother and father, when you come into the church, you gain a hundred mothers and a hundred fathers. Now, some of you are disappointed at your upbringing with the natural father or mother. It was a bad situation. Never had a dad or whatever. And it's still bugging you. Instead of just going your whole life and just lamenting that all the time, what Jesus promised in Mark 10 is there's lots of fathers available in the church. Pick one. You can have relationships, father, son, God designed the church for this. Mother, daughter relationships. This is what, this is his design for how the church, pick one. And again, I'm not saying it has to be some kind of formal relationship. <laughs> Will you be my dad? You know, you don't do anything weird. <laughs> Let's just take advantage of the various kinds of relationships that are available in the church and be intentional about using those relationships to mentor one another. This is God's design. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of this design. And we ask you that you would show us ways that we can take advantage of this. Lord, we've, we've developed patterns. We have a certain way of living, a certain way of acting. And maybe we need to make adjustments. And it might it's not going to be obvious exactly where and how to do that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just awaken us to the value of this, that we might pursue it. And the outcome would be that we could sharpen one another for your glory and for your pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.